Welcome to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through Chinese TV shows. This is Kathy. And this is Karen. Today, we will discuss episode 35 of Hou Gong Zhen Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. The drama is currently available on YouTube for those of you who want to follow along. If you are new to the podcast, please start with our intro to the podcast and intro to the drama episodes. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at chasingdramaspodcast at gmail.com. All right, let's get started. In this episode, we are going to be doing our analysis uh, more or less intertwined with the plot recap. Right off the bat, a lot of stuff is happening. In the last episode, Jin Huan, our main character, is able to recapture the attention of the emperor and is now back on top with his favor. All of the other ladies have to be more respectful of her now. It's winter time. After a court greeting, our main character Jin Huan sees two other concubines, Fu Cha Guiren and Cao Guiren, two noble ladies. Cao Guiren has a young daughter and worked for the now demoted Nian Fei. Fu Cha Guiren was one of the pair that humiliated Jin Huan in episode 33, where Jin Huan was slapped repeatedly and told to kneel outside. Well, it's time for Jin Huan to get some revenge and develop a retaliation strategy against Nian Fei. How does she do so? Jin Huan starts out with some small talk about wintertime. It's snowing outside, great. She then transitions to a story she remembered that happened in winter. After Jin Huan tells this story, Fu Cha Guiren develops so much anxiety that she actually goes crazy. So what is this story? Jin Huan describes in detail that in winter, she's reminded of a famous story of the Zhenzhi punishment between Lu Ho and Qi Furen. Who are these characters and what story is powerful enough to cause Fu Cha Guiren to go crazy? Well, I must apologize because I jumped the gun on this a little bit. Um, we already described this story in episode 26 since Nian Fei. Uh, actually mentioned it briefly when she was threatening the sickly Duanfei, but I will re-explain it here. See, I knew it was important for a reason, but I forgot that it was showing up in a later episode. Empress Lu is the famous wife and empress of the Han Dynasty's first emperor, Liu Bang. Liu Ho is very well known in Chinese history. This Empress Lu was very famous and well-connected. Unfortunately, she wasn't the most uh, beautiful, I would say, and her husband did not like her a whole lot after they reached middle age. Instead, he became infatuated with this other woman, Lady Qi, who was young and beautiful compared to the older Empress Lu. This young Lady Qi, as Jin Huan goes on to describe, offended Empress Lu, but when their husband died, and Empress Lu became Empress Dowager Lu, official mother of the new emperor and ultimately the regent, Empress Dowager Lu ordered a very severe punishment because she now has a lot more power, and she remembered how she was disrespected by Lady Qi. So, of course, what she does is Empress Dowager Lu orders that Lady Qi have her hands and legs chopped off her eyes are to be gouged out, her ears to be pricked to deafness, 
And this lady chi is to drink medicine that will cause her to become mute. Once that is done, she is to be left in the bathroom. This entire punishment is what one is termed ren zhi. Probably you shouldn't remember that. It's a very gruesome punishment. It's I can't even imagine what that's like. Chinese people, um, hmm, <laughs> very interesting in terms of punishments. Well, at this point, Fu Chaguan, who's listening to the story, is still okay. But then Chen Huan says, while Empress Dowager Lu was a little extreme, Lady Qi should not have taken her favoritism in that instant. From the emperor to humiliate Empress Dowager Lu, Fu Taguan actually falls out of her chair in fright when she hears this. She then questions why Jin Huan is even telling this story. Jin Huan responds that even though Nianfei is arrogant, there is something that she herself recognizes in Nianfei. Nianfei strikes quickly without second thought. Jin Huan says that one year someone insulted Nianfei with a sentence. And Nianfei immediately made this woman move to another palace. Jin Huan wonders if Nianfei were to be humiliated on the main street, what do you think she would do to that person in revenge? Cao Guan answers that if Nianfei was treated as such, even if she doesn't enact the punishment we just described, she'd make sure the perpetrator wished she were dead. You'll notice Cao Guan's body language. She's not saying this and responding to Jin Huan. She's directly saying this to Fu Chaguan, who is shaking with fright at this point. Basically, Cao Guan is ganging up on Fu Chaguan. Also, I don't want to insult anyone if this seems obvious, but Jin Huan is telling the story to Fu Chaguan as a warning to her about how she humiliated Jin Huan previously. Now that Jin Huan is back on top and in favor, Fu Chaguan should be very worried about what might befall her. Indeed, Jin Huan says that if I had Nianfei's personality to begin with, I probably would not have been humiliated. I feel like Cao Guan at this point is looking to just also intimidate Fu Chaguan as well, because Cao Guan says to Jin Huan that she currently has all the favor. There isn't anything she can't do, so why not just do whatever you want? Well. Uh, I guess goal accomplished because Fu Chaguan starts begging for forgiveness for how she treated Jin Huan previously. Jin Huan jokingly says that there's nothing to forgive because she's just telling stories. She does say though that she doesn't know, even though the historian Sima Tian described this gruesome punishment quite well, how this punishment actually looks like in real life. And then her main maid Jin Xi interjects and says that this. Isn't even the worst punishment in the Tang Dynasty. There is an added step that once someone has had all of this done to them, they are then put into a pot of alcohol, and then the the term that it's called then is called gu zui, or the direct translation would be bone drunk, which I don't really know what that totally means, but、uh, let's we can understand that it's very gruesome, very painful. Upon hearing this. Fu Chaguan completely crumbles in her chair. She is terrified that this will be her fate since she bullied Jin Huan. She is a stuttering mess and can't even stand up anymore. She has to be carried away by her servants, and not in a princess-style carrying away. She is taken away by four or four or six different servants and just dragged off. With that, 
another concubine bites the dust. She is seen later on screaming in her palace that she doesn't want to be turned into this jinzhi and does not want the same punishment to befall her. She has gone completely insane. The emperor tells doctors to try to cure her, but in the meantime, she is to be locked up in her palace. This is, fortunately or unfortunately, the last time we see Fu Chagrin. Now that this opponent is gone in the Imperial Harem, the only people that remain from when Chen Huan first entered the palace all the way back in episode two are her, her friends Shen Meizhuang and An Lingyong. Everyone else has been killed or gone crazy or sent to the cold palace. I think that Fu Chagrin was a level two opponent. Not difficult to defeat, but just rather annoying. Also in that sense, she also had a miscarriage, but nobody cares, and now she's crazy. So, ah, uh, that just sucks to be her. Now, if we go back to where Jin Huan and Cao Guiyan are sitting, now that Fu Cao Guiyan has been carried away, they get to the main discussion. Cao Guiyan understands that the whole point of this conversation, including scaring the bejesus out of poor Fu Cao Guiyan, was to intimidate herself, Cao Guiyan. With all pretense stripped from both sides, Tagrian urges Jin Huan to be blunt about what she needs. The interesting thing we find out here is that Jin Huan has been pushing the emperor to see Tagrian for a while since Jin Huan was supposedly sick. I'm not sure if Jin Huan was actually sick or if this was part of her master plan to bring Tagrian to her team. In any case, it is, this is probably the first time the two of them have actually had a conversation, but it's clear that Jin Huan has been, uh, I guess, giving the opportunity for the emperor to see Cao Guiyan and her daughter. So that way, Cao Guiyan will be at least a little bit grateful to Jin Huan with this conversation starting. Jin Huan is pretty direct and focuses the conversation on Cao Guiyan's daughter's future. Remember, she has a young daughter who's probably like three or four, four or five at this point now. Jin Huan notes that it must have been very difficult to be part of Nianfei's group given how aggressive Nianfei can be. And that the reason Cao Guiyan was a part of Nianfei's group wasn't because she actually believes in Nianfei and what she does, but because she had to protect herself. Cao Guiyan knows full well that Nianfei hurt her daughter in the past in order to gain affection from the emperor, which must have been very difficult for her. Now, here is a very subtle but very interesting piece of dialogue that Cao Guiyan says. Cao Guiyan says that if Nianfei didn't help her when she was giving birth to her daughter, she may not have been able to survive. We never hear what happened or what the story behind this is. It was just one or two sentences, very subtle. But this dialogue tells us that perhaps something more nefarious was happening in the background. We know that the empress, Huang Ko, has been killing children of the emperor repeatedly. And maybe she had a hand in causing a difficult birth. We don't know that for sure. Somehow, though, Nianfei was able to protect Cao Guiyan and successfully birthing the princess. That's why I believe Tagrin thanks Nianfei and helps Nianfei strategize in the imperial harem. With how powerful Huang Ho is, I think the reason why Huang Ho is also backed off from, let's say, plotting and 
thinking how to kill the princesses because this is a princess. She's not going to be uh, the new emperor. So that's why Tsagarin is kind of left alone. I hope that makes sense to everyone. That's just my theory. Don't know if it's true, but I do think something uh, must have happened with the empress when Tsagarin was pregnant. In any case, the conversation shifts then to how Tsagarin was powerless to not be under Nianfei at the height of her powers. Just like how Tsagarin wanted to warn Zhen Huan of Chunguiren, but wasn't able to save Chunguiren. If you remember, Chunguiren is the cute foodie that loved spending time with Zhen Huan, but accidentally overheard Nianfei's corruption scheme and was subsequently eliminated by Nianfei's eunuch uh, and made it look like she drowned. Tsagarin tells Jin Huan the details about how the courtiers would pay or bribe Nianfei money in order to earn favors from her brother, which in turn earns them positions at court. This news absolutely shocks Jin Huan. I think this knowledge further spurs Jin Huan into trying to get Tsagarin onto her team, because Jin Huan then tells Tsagarin about the fate of the sister or the princess that was recently sent off to be married to the Zonger Khanate, we discussed in the last episode. This poor girl's husband suddenly died soon after she arrived, but she won't be able to return home. The princess will instead become the new con's concubine. Tsalgren recognizes that this is a humiliating situation, one that could very much be her daughter, own daughter's destiny, so in order to protect her own young daughter from such a fate, Tsagarin has really no other option at this point than to completely sever ties with Nianfei and align herself with someone else that can protect her daughter. That person is Jin Huan. With this conversation, this new alliance is sealed. I also want to point out that Tsagarin was not actually telling the truth when she spoke to Jin Huan about Chunguer and like all the truth because if we remember Tsagarin was the one who threw the rock into the pond so this might actually also come back to haunt her later on elsewhere Anling Rong former best friend with Jin Huan is in her own palace secretly fuming about the turn of events she wonders if everyone is laughing at her now that she's lost favor because of Jin Huan's return all I can say is the more she thinks like this, the more she turns to what I would say the dark side. The emperor likes you because your voice and your singing sounds like his dead first wife. He can't talk to you about other things, which we will see later in the episode. Well, the second half of the episode revolves more around politics. What happens exactly? By now, Jin Huan and Shin Mei Zhuang are doing some sewing for the new year. I must say that the servants in Jin Huan's palace are getting sharper and sharper. What do I mean? Jin Huan's head eunuch has some news from the imperial court. But he doesn't declare it straight to Jin Huan first. Instead, he murmurs the information to nearby Jing Xi, Jin Huan's head maid. Only when Jin Huan asks him to share it does he tell her. I think part of it is because he doesn't want to make it too explicit that they're gossiping about uh, imperial court matters. The news that this eunuch shares is quite fun, or uh, rather intriguing. 
It turns out that the emperor's tenth brother, Dun Qingwang, or Prince Dun, returned to court three days ago. However, not only does he show up late to court, but he shows up in full military regalia. Dun Qingwang didn't return from war. And the fact that he's wearing military regalia kind of implies something more ominous. When you see the emperor, you're supposed to remove any type of military weapons, any type of weapons. Otherwise, it could be seen that you are there to pose as a threat. This act in and of itself is very disrespectful to the emperor. But before the emperor could say anything, an imperial minister accused the prince of contempt for the sovereign. Well, I wouldn't say accused, more like outright saying the truth. Apparently, the prince didn't retaliate during court, but on the way out of the imperial palace, he immediately beat up the poor imperial minister to a pulp. All of the civil servants immediately submitted critiques of the prince to the emperor, demanding that the prince be punished. But the prince doesn't care at all and just hasn't attended court the last couple of days, stating that he's ill. This is a tough situation to be in because the prince clearly did something wrong, but he also has military merit for past battles. So he needs to find, so the emperor needs to find a solution that will appease all parties. Let me explain this a little bit further. If the emperor punishes the 10th prince, the emperor may anger military generals that are, uh, that back the 10th prince. But if he doesn't punish the 10th prince, then all of the scholars or the uh, court ministers may become really upset as well. So it's a hard balance. It's night. Chen Huan visits the emperor at his study. We see some court ministers and officials leaving the study, and the emperor seems a bit frazzled about the whole situation. Chen Huan is exactly who he needs right now. She's brought him some delicacies for him to drink to kind of soothe his temper. The emperor asks Jin Huan for her opinion on the whole ordeal or whole situation with the 10th prince, Dun Xinwang. Let's remind everyone that women were not supposed to voice their ideas on matters of politics. He is making an exception for her. This part right here is great. Jin Huan analyzes the current issue at hand and concludes that punishing the prince is not the best route to take. The court ministers want an apology. Why don't we give him the apology? The best option is to have the prince himself apologize to the imperial minister. The emperor is skeptical. He's like, easier said than done. How do we make him do that? Jin Huan has a sparkle in her eye. She uses the idiom, Ying Xiong Nan Guo Mei Ren Guan. Even the strongest hero cannot uh, say no to a beautiful woman. The emperor immediately understands her meaning. The 10th prince dearly loves his wife. If she's willing to persuade him, then perhaps he will apologize. The emperor is very pleased with this idea. He praises Jin Huan for her ingenuity. He even shares his desire to <clears throat> remove the 10th prince in the future. Jin Huan acknowledges that this is probably the best for the emperor and the empire, but right now is not the moment. The two have a discussion about what to do. The 10th prince is already a Qin Wang, or prince of the first rank. They cannot give him a higher rank. So why don't they focus on his children? The 10th prince and his wife have one son and one daughter. 
The daughter is already a junzhu, or princess of the third rank, or princess of a commandery. The emperor will bestow her the title of Gongju, or princess of the second rank. As we mentioned in the previous episode, this rank, or this title, is only designated to daughters born to the emperor, not by the empress. Her status will then now be a daughter to the emperor. The son will be given the title of Beizi, or prince of the fourth rank, or a banner lord. For a daughter who is 12 and a son who is 6 without any military experience, these titles are very exceptional. Jin Huan doesn't think that's enough. The princess will now also or should be gifted an official title of Gong Ding, which means respect, to remind her father to be respectful. The princess will also be brought up by the Empress Dowager. This on itself is a very high honor, being brought up by the Empress Dowager. But here is what Jin Huan is also planning. By having the princess in the Imperial Palace, this is also kind of like a hostage situation and leverage for or against the 10th prince and his wife. This is to make sure that they don't do anything rash in the future. The emperor is actually grinning. Do you see that? His like face actually has a smile on it, which is like pretty rare. He agrees and teases her a bit about the idiom she used earlier. He's like, are you saying I'm the hero? Just then, the emperor's head eunuch comes in to ask whether An Linrong should come for the night. The emperor wants Jin Huan to stay, but surprisingly, she doesn't. She takes her leave and exits in her carriage. We see in the scene that An Linrong comes in towards the city and Jin Huan is leaving. They don't talk to each other, but they kind of glance or see each other through their own windows. An Linrong has a smirk of victory, but little does she know that Jin Huan gave her that opportunity. In the next scene, the wife of the 10th prince, Shu Fujin, arrives in full court attire to greet the empress and Jin Huan. They exchange some pleasantries. But the empress delivers the news that Shu Fujin's children will be promoted. Both the empress and Jin Huan congratulate her and her children on this high honor. She, however, fully understands what this means for her daughter to be moving into the imperial palace, so she is shocked at these declarations. But before she can protest, the empress dismisses her. The tenth prince's wife is left grasping at straws, so she tries to keep an audience with Jin Huan to figure out what's going on. This tenth prince's wife, Shu Fujin, is the same one that visited Jin Huan on her sickbed when Jin Huan was out of fever and had her miscarriage. Jin Huan remembers this, which is why she's willing to help her. Or so she says. Jin Huan successfully persuades Shu Fujin to coax her own husband, the 10th prince, into apologizing for his actions in order to make sure that his family and children are safe. Not long afterwards, the emperor arrives at Jin Huan's palace to announce that everything has been resolved. He is extremely happy. Jin Huan's plan worked. The 10th prince did indeed go to the imperial minister's home and apologized. This ultimately is a huge relief for the emperor, and the person who helped uh, plan this is, of course, Jin Huan. The episode ends with a spectacular scene. 
Let me set the stage. The emperor and Jin Huan are sitting at the same table. The emperor is reading, Jin Huan is writing, and An Ling Rong is kind of just standing there serving tea. An Ling Rong presents a handmade perfume sachet to the emperor. He barely glances at it and states that Jin Huan had gifted him one a few days ago, and he's now wearing that. So he basically kind of rejects her gift. Then, Ali Rong starts her self-pitying act. She says, well, my sewing skills just aren't as good as my dear sister Jin Huan. I'm sorry for that. Jin Huan right now is not falling for this charade anymore. She responds, oh no, your skills are so much better. Look at everything else the emperor is wearing. They're all made by you. Ali Rong tries to double down on her act. She says, oh, mine just isn't as appropriate as my sister's. I apologize for any offense I may have caused. The emperor, like, doesn't even look at her, waves her off. She then continues, My sister, why don't you sew a sachet with mandarin ducks? This will show your love for the emperor. Mandarin ducks in Chinese are called yuanyang, and they are very much a symbol of love and longevity of, of love. So for a lot of people... Sewing mandarin ducks is a great present to, to give. It's because mandarin ducks generally only have one mate. They don't have multiple mates. So the connotation is very good. You have one pair that you have uh, for life. Jin Huan, not missing a beat, responds, Mandarin ducks are great, but the emperor will wear the sachet to the imperial court. With a sachet with mandarin ducks, that doesn't really seem very appropriate. A dragon, however, represents the emperor and his status. She then turns to the emperor. If you want a sachet with mandarin ducks, I can sew one for you and put it underneath your pillow. This is great, because here, Jin Huan is kind of saying that Aileron is focusing on love, like little details, she is not appropriate, or her ideas are not very appropriate for the emperor. And then she's also saying, hey, look at how close we are. I can just put a mandarin duck sachet at his pillow side or bedside. No big deal. The emperor nods. He's like, yeah, sure. And then turns his attention to what Jin Huan is writing. She's writing a verse from the Song Dynasty poet Liu Yong. The emperor dismisses this piece, stating it doesn't fit the current atmosphere. He picks up the brush and writes the following famous love phrase, or, in the garden, under a full moon, I pray for the fortune and health of my beloved and our love. Then, the emperor tells her to frame this in her palace. There is a bug. You can clearly see the calligraphy style is not the same between the two shots. What I love here is, when the emperor picked up the brush to start writing, Anne Ling tried to kind of like butt in to help and get a piece of paper, but Jin Huan just kind of ignored her and brought the piece of paper. The emperor didn't care. Anne Ling gets jealous of this because the emperor only wrote the, the calligraphy for Jin Huan and completely disregarded her. This is also a pretty big deal because in order uh, for, for the emperor to write something, to have something written by the emperor, that is a huge honor. If you sell that, that would be a lot of money. <laughs> Anlingro here subtly hints that she's kind of jealous. But then here's what Jin Huan says. Jin Huan's like, oh, 
My sister, I think I was getting jealous. We shouldn't let that happen. But even here, the emperor doesn't think this is a jealousy issue or he doesn't think this is a big deal. It's like, you know, her, she's, she's not actually jealous. I mean, you two are sisters. Well, that was the end of the episode recap. The main analysis or main discussion additionally that I want to talk about is Jin Huan's actions for the entire episode. Everything she did today had a purpose and she calculated every single person along the way. In here, in this episode, she was on the offensive. In her interactions with Fu Cha Guren, Cao Guren, An Linrong, even the wife of Dun Xin Wang, and the emperor, she had a purpose and she calculated what she wanted to do. Karen already discussed why she said what she did to Fu Cha Guren and why she needed Cao Guren on her team. I will expand a little bit about what she does to An Linrong the wife of the 10th prince, and even our emperor. So, Jin Huan, it seems on the surface of it, was trying to figure out a solution for the 10th prince and his wife. She is very grateful that the 10th prince's wife did check up on her during her sickbed, but in this situation, she's also trying to give her a warning to say, your husband needs to calm down and behave because right now we have one of your daughters as a hostage. It might seem great that they now have lavish titles, but at the end, the princess, now that she is a princess, could be just sent off away to marriage like the other princess was in the last episode. Now let's talk about An Linrong. There were two instances where Jin Huan very much calculated against An Linrong. The first is letting An Linrong stay the night. And in the last scene, trying to suddenly just push An Linrong away. In every situation, she did it so that the emperor would favor herself over An Linrong. The whole point was for Jin Huan to capture the emperor's heart, not to just be petty about it. And An Linrong's over there kind of just quietly fuming. And finally, let's talk about her interactions with the emperor. Previously, Jin Huan was all about, I want the emperor's love. She was pretty arrogant. She didn't want to kind of put herself lower on a pedestal. But in these conversations, she was like, you know, you're the, the, the correct person. This is all for the empire. Everything you do is correct. She very much strokes his male ego and he accepts that. He very, very much is happy that she has this change of heart, which is why he is now spending a lot more time with Jin Huan. Remember previously, she didn't want to do that. She was disappointed at Yongzheng, which is why they had this whole falling out for several months, which is why An Linrong could kind of gain that favor. Right now, Jin Huan is kind of playing that along and saying, you know what? I will play this game. And the emperor is just completely smitten with her. I also just want to say um, in conclusion here that it's very clear Jin Huan is on the offensive. We see her completely change from the woman that she was when she first entered the Imperial Palace. This miscarriage, no matter how heartbreaking, really does uh, transform her into someone who is very calculating in order to survive in the Imperial Harem. That is it for our discussion of this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you have any comments or questions, as always, contact us at jasondramaspodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Um, Otherwise, we hope you have a wonderful week and see you in the next episode.